politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow forgotten Americans yearning to remain free to this, the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is Daniel Horowitz in the house for our fourth day of the zombie apocalypse week, uh, Thursday morning, March 19th. And on a week like this, we really need multiple shows a day just to cover everything. So we're not going to be able to get to everything, even scrape the surface. So continue to follow my Twitter feed at RM Conservative for more of my ideas and observations. Um, articles at conservativereview.com. And again, you know, either tomorrow or Monday, hopefully we will get up our Facebook page. So at least we could all get on threads together and comment. And, you know, we're going to start off with just a, a few people are going to post articles and ideas, and then everyone will be able to chime in and comment. This way you could start networking and meeting like-minded people um, to try to get active in your respective areas. Uh, this is a time where we need a watchdog. It's going to be called the Horowitz Sanctuary, or Har sorry, Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. And uh, it will be the refuge for the forgotten American citizen, forgotten American taxpayer. And now's the time where people need to stand up and be counted and call red flags on what government's doing, push the things that are working. Because again, what is happening is going to affect our future forever. And this is the biggest thing. We really need information. We need data. And we're not getting it. This is what I don't understand. You need to first study the scope of the problem before you, before you could legislate. Yet they are legislating first, asking questions later or never. We need to be asking questions. It doesn't mean we don't think that this is a very severe and dangerous virus. But, you know, there's conflicting data. You know, is it only sick people in danger of dying. It seems like so far the ones that died are just those with pre-existing conditions, uh, mainly elderly, but they're saying there are some in critical condition or in ICUs that are younger. I I'm seeing conflicting things, but then there's the ge geographical distribution. More than 50% of the cases are in just three states, New York, California, and Washington. They account for 85% of the fatalities, I believe, in those three states. And even within the states, it's, it's localized to either certain known anomalous outbreaks because of different travel, you know, like one guy traveled somewhere and then gave it to people in his community or um, urban areas. You know, like most of the deaths in Washington state are King County. You add in the surrounding two counties, it's, it's pretty much all of them. And even half of the King County deaths are from one one nursing home. You look at New York City, very troubling, lots of cases there. It accounts for most of the state's issues. You know, here where I am in Maryland, there's you know maybe 116 cases in Maryland so far. It's it is rapidly going up with the testing. Um, there was one fatality, uh, was a, a someone who had conditions was sick. Most of it is clustered in the Washington area, Baltimore City, you know, which is one of the urban areas, uh, main urban areas of the state has eight cases so far. Baltimore County is 12. 
So, you know, it, it depends where you are. And we need to understand the scope of this in order to properly balance the need for quarantine against the real imperative to get people working. But yet what government is doing is they're talking about 18 months, eight, like they're, they're, they're saying, oh, it's going to be shut down, shut down, you know, shut down school indefinitely. Take it a week or two at a time. Don't make it a self-fulfilling reality and then crash the markets. Look, you, you shut down the economy for a few weeks, no matter what, it's going to be a temporary recession. It's going to be bad. But I mean, that's a huge difference between long term. Let's you know, if it's God's will that that happens and we pray to God, it doesn't then we'll have to deal with that. But let's hope and pray that it doesn't. And let's gear our policies towards trying to do everything we can to avoid that. You know, some places like New York City, Seattle will have to have more of a severe, more severe uh, restrictions for a longer period of time. But, you know, let, let's not do this categorically. Let's try to make this work. Let's focus on a surge of medical care to where it's needed to contain and treat the virus before we talk about bailouts and stimulus. And then if you properly do that, it will limit the impact of the problem and you won't have to so-called stimulate as much as you might think you do. Get people back to work and the fundamentals of the economy should mostly be there. If you don't, no amount of stimulus will, would help. I mean, you're telling me 18 months. Well, I mean, oh, a thousand dollar check, maybe a few thousand per family. I mean, that ain't going to cut it. You're going to have to cut people a hundred thousand dollars per family. OK, so, you know, this whole thing just doesn't make sense before we we make decisions that are extremely costly and severe in terms of bankruptcy and debt and market distortions. Let's deal with the here and now and, and you know not rush to pander and score political points. That's what the politicians are doing. Let's face it. It's not being governed by prudence. It's being governed by panic, but political panic to each person just to virtue signal with free money. So that's the thing. We need a better understanding of the science and the medicine. What are we starting to see with the evolution of how it's transmitted, the type of people who died? Let's see more information on that, and we could better you know, isolate our responses and target them to where the problem is so we can free up more and more pieces of our economy. Don't just declare nuclear winter indefinitely. I understand you felt, okay, we need to shut it down, contain it, fine. But now we need to be talking about what is actually happening so we can actually contain this. Now, look, obviously we need prayer. My community is joining together to declare today a fast day. And uh, that's what I'm doing. So that's why we're going to have a guest today. So I don't have to use my voice as much, um, which often is tough on, on a day where you're trying not to eat and drink. Um, you know, and, and, and that's another thing we can do together, share prayers, share ideas. And we will do that at the Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. That will be the Facebook page. It's not live now but definitely bookmark the idea for tomorrow or Monday. But I do want to get to a very, very special guest. So folks, to you guys, there really is no need for an introduction to Congressman Louis Gohmert. As you all well know, he's from Eastern Texas, First District. 
uh, has been in Congress for many years and really unlike almost any other member I could think of whose shelf life, even if they're good, is maybe six months. Um, he has been as good in year one as year 15, year 18. Now, what are we talking about? We are talking about a problem where we have life altering, societal altering, economic altering decisions that are being made at breakneck speed that will affect us for decades to come. And there are a lot of things that they're doing that shouldn't be done. There's a lot of things they're not even discussing that need to be done. And yet, where is our voice? Who is guarding the gates? Well, Congressman Gomert has certainly been guarding the gates, already fighting for us on this first piece of legislation. More to come here with us to give us an update on what is going on in Congress is the one and only Louis Gomert. Thank you so much, Congressman, for joining us at this time of peril. Of course, Daniel. Love talking to you. Love what you do. Thank you. Yeah, and I know my audience really appreciates you. Um, a lot of my people here are very apprehensive with the following problem. Certainly, people have a baseline apprehension about the, the virus itself, and we all have to take care of that. But there's this concern that there is this very indefatigable, driven, precise agenda that was brought out very quickly that somehow coincidentally is only left wing outcomes. So only bailouts, only welfare spending, only more debt, only now this jailbreak business of all major cities letting out criminals. But somehow certain obvious things like enduring immigration protections that speak to how we brought this in or legislation on China and the supply chain and deregulation that speak specifically to some of the problems we have with our medical care, somehow we're not seeing that so much. What do you think is a good strategy to really slow this down and get a more deliberate debate coming, you know, headed, headed forward into next week? Well, I think the president's original plan, as he announced, had so many great things in it. Uh, but somehow when the House starts the legislation, the, uh, the whole agenda just changes from one of dealing specifically, uh, as the saying goes, like a laser, uh, and it went to just a broad beam of light covering every social agenda that the left has, has been wanting to achieve and didn't quite get finished during the Obama administration. I mean, that's seems to be where we are. So they rush out before we know what needs to be bailed out, if anything, and some of us contend there are better ways than bailouts to deal with these issues. But uh, let's start giving away more money. Let's get the Department of Treasury and Department of Labor with their fingers down into the smallest businesses. You look at that bill that... Uh, was brought to the floor last Thursday, a week ago. And, uh, you know, of course, the speaker told uh, all of us and the president, uh, we're going to pass this today, like it or not, because uh, I'm not coming back tomorrow. Well, the president, this isn't his first rodeo. He's dealt with uh, tougher negotiators. And so he, he, <laughs> he called her bluff and he continued to work 
for a better deal. The president outlined his, uh, what he wanted to see done. But uh, I don't know. I got the impression that somehow between the president establishing what he wanted to see done as a great leader, uh, then having Mnuchin negotiate with Pelosi kind of left us in a less than uh, best case scenario. Um, it seems like he wants some of the same things that Pelosi wanted. Uh, but unfortunately, even this morning that we've been, uh, my office has been getting calls about, hey, when are we going to get our $1,000 check? Now, that's just a tiny, tiny group because I have an incredible district. But uh, it points to the problem that the Democrats love to come in like a serpent and say, hey, look here. This is a nice, shiny apple, and, and here's all kinds of things we're going to give away to you. So anyway, uh, what we should be doing are those things the president pointed out. And uh, one of them, the payroll tax holiday, uh, when I proposed that first back in 2008 as an alternative to TARP, where I suggested we'd help the economy a whole lot more, if we did not reward the um, the Wall Street entities that, that out of greed brought us to the brink of ruin, that we'd be better off just letting people that were earning that money keep all of their withholding in their check and be withheld by the people that actually earned it. And that was going to be, uh, it wasn't going to increase the deficit because we'd already appropriated $700 billion, and I felt like that's where that uh, payroll tax holiday should come from. Now, uh, talking with uh, some of the Freedom Caucus members, Tom McClintock proposed that's a good idea, but so that we don't run into what we did back in 2008 that prolonged uh, the recession. Uh, you don't give incentives to keep people from working indefinitely. Exactly. And back, and, and back then, I know you'll remember, Daniel, you're so plugged in, but, you know, we, we extended the unemployment benefits for a year. So that encouraged people, well, just, you know, you're going to keep getting a check. So stay unemployed. It's okay. Whereas, uh, as Tom McClintock suggested, what we ought to do to help people through this uh, financial crisis, a strain where people that are working are not coming into work, customers are not coming in, why don't we say, you know what, you keep every dime of your check all withholding, but uh, the way we'll pay for that is uh, for every month you need to do that and get all that extra money kept in your check, will extend your retirement date by month. So the date by which you could get start getting Social Security will back that up a month. So, you know, you'll work another month, you'll get paid for full that month, but, but we'll back up your your retirement date. And that way it, uh, it makes sure people that need the help can get the help, get the extra money they need. But then again, it doesn't give them an an incentive to stay out of work like was done by the Democrat majority back in 08 and 09 and 10. So 
those are some of the things that we could be doing. But just sending a $1,000 check, it sounds like a great answer. But the trouble is, Bush tried that. If you remember, late in his second term, he, he came up with this rebate. Everybody's going to get a rebate, uh, but a big, huge hunk of that went to people that were not even working. And so I didn't know the mic was picking me up when the president came on the House floor. Mm. And I said, by the way, Mr. President, how do you give a rebate to people that didn't put any bait in? <laughs> and he's all Gomer because It's not a rebate. Yes. It's not a rebate. It's not a rebate if you hadn't been paying. And and so some Democrats are taking this opportunity where we're talking about people getting to keep all of the money in their check that otherwise goes to Washington each month. They're saying, but you're not considerate of the poor. You're discriminating against those who are out of work. And we're not. Because if you're out of work and you're getting all the state and federal welfare benefits, you're not going to stop getting those because you can't go to work today. You're going to still keep getting all those different checks, the food stamps, the SNAP, all that. You're going to keep getting that. You're not going to be affected by not being able to go to work because that's why you're yeah. getting paid. You're not working. And now they actually but where increased we need to help people. But right, didn't they? Yeah. In this first tranche, you're talking about the second tranche already with the uh, bailouts as well exactly. as the $1,000 check. But the first tranche that you tried to make better, the only congressman to really hold up the unanimous consent to at least make that mandate on uh, paid leave on, on the small businesses yeah. better. But it actually included exactly. a lot of un- more unemployment, food stamp, and Medicaid spending as well. So what what they're what they seem to be doing here is it's worse than the financial crisis. They're not addressing the yeah. problem. Here here's the problem that no, I no. think your it's colleagues don't see. It's throwing money and more government. Yeah, more money, more government. But let me just remind everybody, actually the first bill and I would submit the first charge that was the 8 billion plus that we appropriated the week before last that went to to pay for vaccines and research and and paying that one really gave people more money for for medicare medicaid to try to help with this that really focused on the healthcare itself and and vaccines and and things that would bring down the symptoms reduce fatalities and actually the president was asked for two and a half billion because that should get us through several months, if not the whole year. And the Democrats said, no, no, we that's not a big enough number. Let's throw out $8 billion. No idea where it came from, but they always think the more money, the better. So we had appropriated money to deal with the medical pro- uh, crisis. What we were dealing with this past week that, that was supposedly technically corrected Monday night was that was just throwing money and more government at the problem. So So, it's really the second bill to do with coronavirus. This is what I don't understand. And you're right. This is the second and the one they're talking about with the rebates and the ballots is the third. And there will certainly be a fourth and a fifth. But here's what I don't understand. You you compare this to the financial crisis. But in many ways, this is even more senseless because this is not even Keynesian. Even if you believe in this Keynesian economics that you could just you know, print phony money and just so-called stimulate an economy just by throwing money at the problem, mm-hmm. here they're not 
speaking, they're not throwing money at the problem. So what I'm finding very incongruent, and I really wish more of your colleagues would raise these questions, is that we first need to define the scope of the problem. So on the one hand, they're declaring economic. And we don't know that. And we don't know it. That's so so important. So so like what it appears from the Asian countries, you know, Hong Kong and Taiwan and South Korea, they, they appear to have turned the corner. The fatalities, at least, have almost ground to a halt. It's been about six weeks. They're talking here as much well, as if you yeah. believe their numbers, if you believe if their you numbers, believe the Chinese. Well, well yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not saying China. I'm, I'm saying South Korea. Yeah, I mean, China would never believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. South Korea. OK, yeah. South Korea, some yeah. of the others. But but they're talking about here as much as 18 months they're almost cheering for it and then they're creating a problem and then the solution but but what i'm trying to say is you can't stimulate um an uh, economic nuclear winter where there's nothing to stimulate you got to get people back to work exactly don't we need policies to have the right balance and geographical distribution depending like new york and seattle are worse of where and how much and for how long to quarantine and get people back to work, then we could surveil the the damage, survey the damage, and see, and see what to do. Exactly. Exactly. Now, there are some things uh, that we're already seeing are, are being a problem and going to be a problem at least for the next month or two, maybe three months. Uh, and by the way, we should be encouraged by the lack of, of this rapid increase in the southern hemisphere, which gives us some hope that this is like other viruses in that it is affected and diminished by warmth because it's summer Mm. in the southern hemisphere. Mm. And so that should give us encouragement, like you're talking about, this this shouldn't be an 18-month problem. Uh, and it's not going to take 18 months to find a cure. We've got great inroads being made. Why why would you... It, what bothers me is this. If this is God's will and we have to bankrupt ourselves, trillions of dollars, market distortions we'll be dealing with forever, then fine. But you have to recognize prospectively the severity of doing that and only pull the trigger on that and, and toll it unless you have to do it. But they're they're legislating as if we're 18 months through this in, in, in week one or two and it's like wait a minute let's take a week at a time and and let let me give you an example i want you to comment on because i think this is very important let me tell you where the government is actually doing this mentality the exact wrong place but they're not doing it elsewhere i i put in a query to um the state department's bureau of population and migration refugees and said hey what's the story with refugee resettlement and it turned out that literally through yesterday, weeks into the quarantine, months into the virus, were bringing in people from Congo, which ju- just this week recovered from Ebola, all sorts of places. That is the most spreading-inducing um, program because it's international, and then and then nationally we re- resettle them in different communities. And that went on long after Americans were practically sheltered in place. So they shut it off uh, yesterday. Okay, they actually I didn't even ask for this, but they gave me a quote that their hope is to restart it April 7th. And I think to myself, man, where is the talk, the national agenda with the right balance of public health to try to get things in most places back to work and starting April 7th? But no, when exactly. it comes to refugee resettlement, they're talking about that. 
Isn't that incredible? I not I'd miss that. Thanks for for <laughs> illuminating that. Oh my gosh, that that's that's just insane. It is insane, and it's about as insane as uh, a member of Congress complaining bitterly on Twitter about uh, uh, people not being allowed to come in and and get together illegally in the United States. I mean, couldn't you give that? politicizing the border and wanting open borders a little bit of a rest while we're going through a pandemic and and not wanting to bring new cases in. Give it a rest for a little bit before you condemn us for being haters when we're just trying to stop the spread of disease. But that, one of the things I started to mention earlier, sure. you know, we don't know, you know, people are saying, oh yeah, the next thing we got to do is the billions and billions and billions of dollars of bailout for big business. Now, I want you to note, there is nothing more hypocritical than to to make political careers out of condemning big business, big evil corporations, and yet you get big contributions, you've made money in your private career, you're making money as a politician from these big corporations, and what do they do on the bill that uh, passed in the wee hour Saturday morning and was changed uh, late Monday night? Uh, they make it apply only to businesses with less than 500 <laughs> employees. And some of the Democrats are defending and saying, well, but understand there are a lot of big businesses that already do the things we force on the small businesses. Uh, one of the things that my being on the House floor for 10 hours to to object to um, the uh, unanimous consent sure. of what started out as 46 pages and ended up with uh, 89 pages was uh, they did make it easier to exempt businesses with less than 50 employees. Yeah. But still, it just the irony that these are the people that never stop condemning big corporations, and yet they applaud getting business, big, getting big bucks to Wall Street, which votes uh, and contributes a majority to the Democratic Party should be noted. Um, but they here they they go after small business, and these are the people that get the least amount of help from the government, yet that is where they're getting the intrusion into. And it's, it, Daniel, it reminds me of what we saw again, and I, I totally agree with you. This is, this is a great deal different from the, the problem, economic problems of 2008. But um, in this, they, they're going after, say, here's some, some things you're that we're mandating to small business. Why? Because big business has really been crawling in bed with the government. Small business has tried to try to stay independent, and this stuff they're doing has the potential to end up killing off small businesses. Yep. And they're saying, no, no, but uh, but keep in mind, even though we're mandating, you know, paid leave and all this stuff. Um, we're going to reimburse that. So it won't affect these small companies at all. Yes, yes. Speak, and this speak was to that my, a little bit. my yeah. point all day Monday. Yeah, this was my point all day Monday, and, and they would come negotiate with me, and here's, okay, how about this? But, um, you know, if you've got 
it's, and I've heard from people, we got two employees. And now you're saying I must allow them to have uh, two weeks of coronavirus leave on top of 10 weeks on top of that. And, you know, three months from now, I will be bankrupt. This business I've had, as somebody told me yesterday, this business I've had for 18 years, it's going to be gone. We've been building it, but this is going to kill us. And it doesn't matter that we'll be reimbursed for, for the money we pay for the family leave. We will be broke. We can't go on when our employees are given time off. Now, one of the things in that bill that I had a problem in, and we know it's good if you may have the coronavirus to stay home, but uh, the bill actually allowed uh, paid leave if you have any of the symptoms of coronavirus, uh, and and that's verified. Well, you could get a doctor verify. Yeah, they they were coughing, or yes, yep. and. Um, uh, a little shortness of breath or ran a half a degree of temperature. Okay, there you go. You get paid leave. But uh, we're going to be getting more testing done. And and I don't. I'm sure you saw it because you don't you don't miss things. Uh, one of the Democrats was going after the CDC doctor, saying we want every single person in America tested. And it appears that that was one of the problems Italy had. They were going to test everybody instead of making yes. those that were most oh likely gosh. to have the disease. Yes. If you start testing everybody, then the people that have the symptoms that look like they probably have it, they're mixed up in the line way back somewhere, and they're contaminating all these other people instead of getting them to the front of the line, get them tested first. Uh and I think that's helped contribute to Italy's problem. You don't test people that don't need it. And frankly, I went in um, back on Monday to the uh, the doctor there in the capital, and I said, look, you know, the CDC doctor said I should come to Congress. I didn't need to self-quarantine. I apparently most likely didn't even meet this guy that the others who are self-quarantined. Sure. They went to a reception, stood around taking pictures with him, talked to him for a while, held his phone and stuff. I, I didn't go to that reception. They said, um, I said, but I would like to get a test so I can just shut up these reporters that keep treating me like a leper that I have no <laughs> business coming when I follow doctor's orders. And initially they were going to do it and they checked me out and, you know, and, and one of the things they can pick up even when people think they're asymptomatic is uh, something in the lungs they hear, uh, redness in the throat. Uh, they uh, Maybe you don't know you have um fever, but a fraction of degree of elevated fever, you know, they find something, but something they say, you got, there is nothing wrong with you, you know, mentally, yes, but physically there's nothing wrong with you. And I was kidding about that. But anyway, <laughs> they said, there's nothing physically wrong with you. We are not in a position to waste the resources to test you just to satisfy some reporters. There's no reason to test exactly. you. And and that's what and that's really true. If you don't have any indication whatsoever 
of symptoms, you should not be tested. You know, maybe we get to a place where everybody is, but first let's go after the people that may actually have it and their indications they may have. This is the problem that I'm noticing with everything the left does. It's indiscriminate. So test everyone or shut everyone down, shut everything down. And you it's it's overkill, but it's also ineffective. I mean, it's like anything else. They cast a wide net on constitutional liberties and then won't even deal with the terrorists or they're they're like, I I hate guns, but but I love gun felons, you know, and and, and criminal justice reform, you know, and and it's it's like each thing. And it's the same thing here. Let's well, you know, let's target where the relief needs to be. you know, target the cities that have the problems the most, target the areas that have exactly. the problems the most. And, you know, like, for example, I am blessed by God. And I'm very thankful that, you know, Blaze Media, you know, where our business model is operated, you know, mainly remotely. So I'm, I'm good. I don't need. So they're talking about, I guess, a thousand dollars. I guess my wife, that would be two thousand. Got three kids. That would be another fifteen hundred. Um, so $3,500, Hey, like I'll take free money, but it's stupid to don't, don't throw it at me, uh, throw it. I mean, at least target to where it's needed. And we're not even asking these questions. So here's my question to you, Congressman. Here's my question to you. You talk about the president and how he says one thing, but somehow what emerges from Congress and what gets signed by him is another thing. And it's not just with this, we're seeing this throughout the last number of years. My question that a lot of my audience doesn't understand is, yes, the Democrats took over the House, but they only have the House. They don't have the White House and they don't have the Senate. And frankly, we've had this problem even when Republicans did have the House in the first two years, where somehow what pops out is antithetical to what he campaigned on. Meaning it's not only antithetical, but like there's one thing if, for example, the bills included Endless debt, endless welfare, endless bailouts. But yep. look, it had stuff on the supply chain. Josh Hawley's bill. It had massive deregulation on the uh, you know food supply chain, on the medical supply chain. It had one thing I feel is very important is um, to ab- abolish the ban on physician-owned hospitals. That would be very big at this point. Yes. We need to think there, there's, yes, there's yes. 15, 20 ideas like this. I put out a list of 15 ideas yesterday. Deal with immigration. Deal with, you know, a mechanism to mandate automatic shutoff of travel the minute our government knows about things like this. And that would be the ultimate curve flattening. I mean, I called on this show at the beginning of January for a complete cessation of travel from January. We didn't even do it Mm. until the end of January from the source country, much less the other countries, not until March. I mean, had we done that, I'm not going to say we would have kept out every last thing, but my gosh, it would have been a different problem. And we're not even, it's like discussing 9-11 without discussing the source and origin of the hijackers. And exactly. I just don't get it. And then finally, the one thing I'm going to add before you answer, because I think if you don't know about this, you need to know about this because you're going to be the only one standing up to it is rather than dealing with a clampdown on immigration, which we need not just for security and spreading public, you know, uh, public health concerns, but also because of um, the labor market. You know, if Mnuchin's going to get up there and preemptively say there's 20% unemployment, well, how the, how the hell do you call for um, more EB-5, more H2, H2A, H2B, <laughs> H1B? They're, they're calling for all that, and they're going to put... They're put. So here's the thing. I don't think they're going to succeed, but Jared and Lindsey Graham are trying to get in the China virus response bill 
EB5 visas that not only bring in more Chinese, but speak to the direct problem of China owning and buying up more of our companies, more of our land, which is the whole problem that we're talking about. Louis, this is the equivalent of, of, the, of putting a mosque on ground zero in response to 9-11. Yeah, yeah, it it is. It makes no sense whatsoever. It is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and and doesn't the president realize it, this? It, Do you speak it, to him? Yes. Uh, well, actually, he called me on Monday. He said, "Louis, I hear you're over there going to object, and I'll know you. I know you. I'll know you'll do what you really believe needs to be done. Uh, and here's what." You know, Mnuchin's doing, here's what this, that. So, yeah, it's nice to hear from the president. Um, but, yeah, he's, <laughs> that's something you're, what you're talking about, uh, Mnuchin is in favor of. And uh, it's something that's got to happen, something that's got to happen uh, when the president is reelected, if we work hard enough to make it happen and we get past this coronavirus, because it's, the Democrats are hoping this is what's going to take him out. They want to prolong it like you were talking about earlier. But we have got to get the people around the president that support his plan for America to really make America great again and not just help big buddies like Paulson did. And I'm afraid I'm seeing that out of Mnuchin. He's yep. more concerned about helping the big buddies and doing what the, and, and the, I want the you big to elaborate. corporations are I, I, saying. Could you elaborate on your coming concerns with small business? Because what I find fascinating, a point that you made that I thought was very deep and profound, and that is what you find from the left, which again includes elements of both parties, is – on the one hand, they lo love virtue signaling, class warfare. I hate monopolies. I hate big business. But then on the other hand, everything they do um, with the subsidies and market distortions, and we see this most evidently in agriculture and, and healthcare, creates mergers and acquisitions that literally we are at a point in this country where we are not going to have any private practice because it's all the healthcare conglomerates and any family owned farms yep. because it's all the, you know, from the farm bills and everything. And so is your concern that we're going to see a similar thing across well, the Well, let me spectrum? add one more there that they have done that really, I think, illuminates this, and that is what they did out of the banking crisis of 08, which they basically oh, community engendered. Banks. Yeah. Uh, they, the actions that Dodd-Frank Dodd has created and the $700 billion that was going to the big banks and helping them and not the little banks, uh, we are losing community banks that are sponsoring. They sponsor teams. They they help the community. They are there at everything that happens in the community. We're losing them, you know, just virtually weekly to the big banks. Some of them go out of business, and some are being gobbled up by the biggest banks. And that was the Democrats' legislation that they pushed through that is making that happened ever since 2008. And so what is the, what do the biggest banks say? If you go in and you need a $500,000 loan, I've had people tell me this, you know, I used, this used to be our community bank. It got taken over by one of the big ones. And they called me and said, we're not going to give you this $500,000 line of credit anymore. We don't want this small change stuff. 
We want the big stuff. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's gone on that the left has created. Yep. And it's nowhere more evident than in the banking business and, and small business see that. But, you know, at Walmart is another good example. You know, they're they're immensely helpful, I think. But uh, and I think a bunch of the Waltons contributed to me back in 04 when I first ran. But they hadn't contributed since because they <laughs> wanted their own bank. And I was going, wait, no, if if you have your own bank, I can foresee that you're going to end up being the biggest bank. And then anybody that wants to compete with you is going to have to come beg you for a loan. That's not a good idea. So anyway, I'd gotten any contributions since then. <laughs> but But this is where the left goes. Let's let big takeover. Let's get rid of the small businesses because those are the biggest threats to the socialism that we want to create. No, and and that's and that's what's ironic. They are, you know, all against the big, big this, big that, and then everything they do in actuality is for them. Whereas with us, we're not against anyone. We're we're fine if you want to nope. earn earn a profit. But what we're not, but what we're not fine with is using the boot of government to to tilt a playing field so look i don't have nostalgia over you know bank tellers you know going out for atms we understand certain things we understand if mom and pop shops if the natural order of things dictate that it progresses in a certain way but the natural order of things did not dictate that the community banks go out of business it did not dictate that private practice yep. goes out of business and you basically have MedStar and LifeBridge and a handful of just conglomerates. No government banned physician owned hospitals. Um, and, and I, I just don't see a competing vision. And, and, and what shocks me is that see the Democrats see people are, are really in need now. So they see an opportunity for handouts and subsidies, but what, what we have an opportunity for deregulation now because people see how it's stifling everything. The president, to his credit, has done some things executively, but but where is yep. the core group of Republicans to at least try to get something in return on our policy ends and to address the source of the policy problems if we're going to throw at least throw money at it? Yeah, well, that's exactly what we're we're hoping. We had a Freedom Caucus. Uh, a conference call this week, and these are exactly some of the things that were voiced. Uh, but one of the one of the points that a number of us uh, feel strongly about, you know, as we were talking about, what where does the focus need to be? Well, some people that uh, are being told don't come back, and a, and we're hearing a lot of the huge businesses that weren't affected by the bill the Democrats just passed. Uh, they don't have the hardships of the small business and the more government jumping in on top of them. But uh, but people are being told, go home and we'll tell you when it's time to come back to work. And they're not getting paid for that. Yet their mortgage is still due at the same day every month. And they're not going to have the money to pay the mortgage. So that's going to affect small banks, big banks, and everything. Well, how about before we go spending another trillion dollars bailing out the banks, how about if we just work out a plan, okay, uh, we're going to postpone your paying your mortgage for the next 60, 90 days, uh, and banks, we're going to 
pay you the interest you would have made, and that's it, because you're still going to get the money. It's just going to yeah. be delayed. The only thing you're going to miss is the interest they'll give. We're not going to give you $100 billion. We're only going to pay for the interest you would have gotten if made their payments timely, you know, something like that, and then have a pay for uh, at, at the for that as well, so that we don't keep adding to the deficit. Because people have forgotten, Daniel, and I know you haven't, that uh, when we ran up, and this was really ironic to me, I remember when in 2006, or before the year in November of that year, we lost the majority. The Democrats were correctly saying on the House floor, you guys have run up a $160 billion deficit this year. <laughs> this should have been balanced this year. $160 billion is how much we're going to be in the red this year. You guys should have balanced it this year. And they were right. We should have. And they're saying, give it to us. We'll do that. And who would have believed a couple of years later they have the majority and they run up yep. a $1.5 trillion deficit. And so then when we finally got it down to a trillion dollar deficit, you know, they're bragging. That's the biggest cut in American history. Well, yeah, because you ran it up to near $1.6 trillion, $160 billion. So anyway, you remember our debt got downgraded back then. Yeah, yes. And people were going, uh-oh, if this gets downgraded again, we're in trouble. And the message was you can't keep running trillion-dollar deficits without having it affect the quality of your debt in yep. the open market. And, and then, of course, so guess, who owns, very guess con- who owns some of the debt? China. Yeah, China. China does. That's exactly right. So I'm worried about them getting paid while they're withhold uh, medications we need. But I think that is one of the good things that's coming out of this terrible pandemic. That is that uh, we've realized we do need to be producing here what we need in time of emergency, what we need in time of war, so that we can be self-sufficient and and keep that super super nation. And and, and And wouldn't now be the time, think about killing two birds with one stone, both the short-term problem that we got to get people back to work, but also the long-term problem of building sovereign American control over vital supply yep. lines wouldn't now be the time to go after the environmental and labor regulations and trucking regulations and all we need to have a list the same way the left comes with their list yep. i just don't understand why we're not i mean it literally speaks to the source of our problem and our vulnerabilities and the time calls for it but again like i could, I could you know live with it if we get all the spending and the debt but we get our stuff on immigration on travel on on deregulation you know fine tax cuts but but it's all one side to the point that ilan omer said the i mean it it was shocking she said the president has amazing leadership now if you look at what she was saying carefully she wasn't it wasn't something that's praiseworthy like you know cuomo to his credit governor cuomo has really done a good job putting partisanship aside and he's praising the president's um command and control leadership responsiveness she wasn't doing that she if you saw the context she was praising the socialism and i'm sick of our 
our yep. side are phony conservative activists, and I'm sorry that's what they are, that every second it's socialism. Social, we don't want Bernie. We don't want Bernie. We don't want socialism. But when the ball is actually in play and we're actually dealing with the issues that will most affect those outcomes, what do we get under the banner of Republicans? Socialism. Socialism, exactly. And I thought that was extremely ironic as well. Here they have manipulated people. They've gotten uh, candidates to pull out so that Biden could win that Super Tuesday and get back in front of Bernie. So they've done all this manipulation because they said, gee, you know, America's not ready to elect a socialist. And then what do they do immediately? They say, we've got to, here's all this socialist legislation that we've got to pass uh, so that we can save the day. And that's, so they're saying on the one hand, they're not ready to elect somebody that has called themselves a socialist. But on the other hand, we're still going full tilt towards socialism. We just can't call it that. But I I love what Dostoevsky said about socialism. He said, you know, the the problem with socialism is not economic. He said the problem with socialism is atheism, you know, Mm -hmm. that the government becomes the god. And that's when you get in real big trouble, because if there's no God, then there is no reason for morality. It's just and, and another irony that gets me. Some of these people, like many other billionaires, that are, are funding the socialism. These fools never had good history lessons. So they don't know that if socialism does take fully over, they think they're going to be part of that tiny little ruling class because uh, you have no middle class. It's a tiny little ruling class and then everybody else. Uh, but they haven't figured out what happens is they use their money getting to socialism. And once we get there, then they either end up dead or in a gulag somewhere and their money gets taken over by the other people in the ruling class. So, so Congressman, one yeah. one quick thing you mentioned morality, and I know I got to let you go, otherwise your staff will be really ticked at me. You've been very generous with your time, <laughs> but I know your audience has has really, my audience has really enjoyed this. And but one one message I want to bring to you from from our movement here is, if you're not aware of this, is something that your colleagues really need to deal with. That I feel is going to be one of the most severe um, fallouts and second order effects of this, um, and that's crime. We are finding that every yep. major city now, uh, certainly in the blue states, but but Bear County, San Antonio announced they're doing the same thing, releasing criminals and initially not arresting people. And when you talk about the small businesses and shops that they know are vacant, few witnesses on the streets, I, I th- there is this religion that has taken hold in the phony conservative yep. movement. And you know exactly what I mean, because you were, I believe, the only yep. person to claim time in opposition to speak out against jailbreak because there was no opposition because both parties agreed. Nope. This is getting, see, oh, you know, certain things make sense. Okay, people need welfare, their time in need. I mean, it logically makes sense. But when you start saying, wait a minute, I'm going to use coronavirus to push jailbreak, which is the opposite because you're taking people out of the yep. ultimate quarantine and, and putting them back in the community, Something very sinister is going on here, and I'm very scared about that. 
It, it is very sinister. Sinister. You know, I feel like it's a Batman movie where you know they're taking advantage of a crisis to have a jailbreak and and that turn all of these forces that are against. Uh, uh, a society surviving, turning them loose all at once is the way it seems. And yes, and let me mention about that bill. Uh, I, I was for so many of the things in the bill, but something I simply could not abide as a former felony judge who agonized over each sentence has struggled, you know, would read the pre-sentence reports, listen to the evidence and the arguments and, and all of that to try to make a right decision. Uh, that thing was retroactive. It went back and affected federal judge, felony judge decisions for, for decades, you know, and, and said basically what it was saying in effect was, look, you judges may have labored intensely over the right sentence in the, each case. And we have no clue what these people did. And what we're going to say is that, uh, for example, these are nonviolent criminals. And so we're just going to cut all these people loose much earlier than you ever thought they would be. Well, that, the judges consider all the factors. And what the legislators don't know and, and actually must have been people that have never dealt with the criminal system. But in the federal system, the way you make deals, you don't make a deal for a sentence. You make a deal for, okay, we will not pursue yep. the the gun charge if, if you'll rat out the people above you. And you use yep. that to get – and it doesn't mean they weren't violent. They were violent. They had a gun. But a yep. lot of cases, they'll agree not to – which is why it, it's, it's, it's built into the system five times over leniencies and under yes. under charging, under convicting, under sentencing, because there's yes. I mean, I, I all these like hor horrific viral videos that that get passed around of these knockouts and beatings and murders. Yeah. Often you'll see the most notorious thing. I'll look. It's second degree, second degree murder, second degree assault, third degree. It's never first degree because first yep. degree is very technical, very hard to prove. And these are the most you know dangerous people around. And they get yep. it, it starts off even at the charge level as a second degree. Then it only gets down from there with all the plea bargains, all the, you know, all the growing loopholes that the federal liberal courts are are making that you yep. know new constitutional rights, new Fourth Amendment rights. So it's so hard to land a conviction that, you know, I'll often yep. see cases where, you know, people break into multiple homes and and had, you know, child mm -hmm. sex offenses, rape people while in the home. And they got out with nothing but simple residential burglary in the end. Yep. Um, and, and Those things happen. It depends on the case. But as a judge, you get to know all of the facts about the case. And, you know, we brought up God earlier. I've had people tell me, you know, how could you be a Christian and not let this guy, you know, <laughs> just get probation? And uh, Judge Carter, John Carter's also was a a felony district judge in Texas, when he and I were talking about it, I said, I guess you had people come in with big Bibles like I did trying to make you think you needed to give them a light sentence. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, I have one guy. <laughs> when I said, do you have anything further to say before I pronounce sentence? He said, yes, I understand you're a Christian. Is that right? He said, yes, I am. And he <laughs> said, well, if you're a Christian, you got to forgive me for this. <laughs> and he said, well, sir, I personally, I forgive you. 
But the state of Texas sentences you to 20 years in prison. <laughs> he was, oh, judge, I can't do 20 years. And he said, that's okay. Just do the best you can. <laughs> so he, see, see, but anyway, yeah. you're doing it as part of the government in a government role. And that is part of the Romans 13. If you do evil, you're supposed to be afraid because yeah. government punishes, supposed to punish evil, not reward it or let it go. And too many people lose sight of that fact. It is, there's supposed to be a general deterrence, a specific deterrence and a protection of society in that sentencing. And that's why I couldn't go along with that. They they were going back and re-sentencing people by what's the effect. Uh, and that's that's just wrong. But you're right is, in seeing this. You know this as a judge. The judge looks at a sealed document called a sentencing report to determine yep. the entire life story of the guy. So all these exactly. sob stories that they come around with, the media will never ask them, could you release? Because only they could release it. Could you release the sentencing yeah. report? Because undoubtedly what you always see, and I follow these cases on the U.S. Attorney's website every day, that you know when someone's um, hit up on, on drug charges – you know, increasingly, they're very light sentencing. But when you see a 30 year, I look into it right away and you see Latin Kings guy that the judge felt he was responsible for a number of murders in Chicago. You know, that's that's the story mm -hmm. of it. And we see what what phony Christian uh, that 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 form of Christian thinking does in a place like my hometown of Baltimore, <laughs> where arrests are down. Yep. Arrests for drugs are down 30 percent. Uh, since 2017 mm -hmm. and homicide skyrocketed. Why? Well, yep. because a good number of the murderers are doing the drugs and the firearms violations and the assaults and all that. Yep. And when you don't arrest them when you can, well, then you have the murders and, uh, you know, so That's much right. for the Christianity in that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's so true. And, uh, you know, I, I get the first time I ever made international news was as a judge uh, and you mentioned pre-sentence reports. I knew a whole lot of information with pre-sentence report that was not public. And his own lawyer brought up the fact that he had full-blown AIDS uh, before. And otherwise, I would not have brought it up. But uh, a guy before me had stolen a car. And actually, it was a Catholic priest was the only friend he had. And he took him to the hospital. The guy stole the priest's car. Well, under Texas, they had just made it a mandatory probation for stealing a car. I didn't have a choice. This guy had a tremendously long uh, criminal record, and there was information that, that didn't come out until I got attacked. But I'd really wrestle with this. I got to put this guy on probation, and uh, it finally came out. You know, he had been a, uh, a male prostitute, and his... Um, his sister brought out in an affidavit after I got attacked that she had encouraged her brother to be careful that she might get, he might give AIDS to people and actually kill them. And he had said, I'll kill any blankety blank I want to. And, and that he was intending to, to do that. That was his attitude. And so uh, in considering sentencing, I have to consider deterrence, general deterrence of the public, specific deterrence of this person and protection of the public. And I said to him there in open court, look, I've, I've wrestled with this a great deal. Uh, and after his lawyer brought up about, look, he has AIDS, he needs, you know, to make sure he gets the medications, keep him going. I said, that's fine. State will take care of that. But 
my job is to protect the public. And I said, I don't know if you're aware, but before a doctor can do surgery, they must first advise you of all the risks inherent to the surgery they're going to do. And then and only then get your written consent to do the surgery. And so I said, I don't know where you got the AIDS virus, HIV virus. For our purposes, it really doesn't matter. Uh, But what matters is that you should not be on my probation giving this to other people without them knowing it was a risk. So one of your conditions of probation will be you need to advise people in writing that you have your HIV positive, have full-blown AIDS, and that they're at risk of getting it, and then you have them sign it before you have sexual relations. Doesn't that seem fair? And he indicated, yes, it seemed fair. And and I said, there's not going to be any bedroom police follow you around, but if somebody comes in at a probation revocation hearing and establishes you had sexual relations, I look to you for the form. If you don't have it, then you're going to prison. Your probation will be revoked. And he seemed to think that was fair. But then I started getting attacked by all the ACLU and a lot of gay rights groups, and I couldn't understand that. The gay rights groups at that time, it was clear that they were most at risk. I would have thought they would applaud the idea. But when it came out, started coming out how he wanted to kill as many as he could and stuff like that, uh, it became clear this was not the horse that they wanted to ride to the Supreme Court. So they ended up dropping all the appeals and stuff. But, uh, but still, it makes the point. One of the conditions of sentencing and one of the purposes is to protect the public and for legislators to come in uh, ex post facto they don't know what's going on but after the fact they're going to come back and say we're cutting everybody loose you're asking for big trouble that the system can't and shouldn't work like that Wow. Well, well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Congressman Gomer was a, a judge prior to, to serving in Congress. And, you know, I think we don't have enough of them. That's part of the problem. Um, thanks so much for all your time. Thanks for not moving along with the Overton window to the left, like so many of your Republican colleagues, and actually holding the crime on fiscal, social, immigration, national security, crime issues. I mean, it seems like we're just losing every issue. I don't even know what conservatism means anymore, um, you know, the last number of years. So thanks for holding firm on that. And please keep yeah. us updated as, as time goes on. All right, and let me just mention this. I heard this uh, from a preacher in Denton named Tommy Nelson uh, at a Bible course I was listening to. He said, yes, uh, God's in control, because I hear this from Christian congressmen sometimes. Louie, we don't have to be concerned. God's in control. And Tommy Nelson said, look, yes, God's sovereign, God's in control, but just because he's in control doesn't mean he wants us to lean on our shovel and pray for a hole. You know, we've been given tools, and we should not just be blindly flailing about. You know, we've been given the the ability to think like animals and reason like most animals cannot do. So we ought to use the tools we've got and not just— throw everything at the wall and see if something the, the, sticks. The no, let's be reasoned. Tools as yep. well as mandate, Congressman, as well as the mandate exactly. from God. There's no greater right. mandate 
than doing justice. I mean, that is that is the fundamental, um, you know, to, to reprieve and forgiveness is is not our job i mean on interpersonal kind of squabbles it, it is but but on on, yeah, on something like this it it is no our job is to do justice that is why it was enduring in our in our culture you know during the hangings we said what well, may god have mercy on your soul because the point was our well why don't we have mercy on your soul well because that's not mercy that's harshness that's harshness to the victim that's, right. that's harshness to lack of deterrent and uh you know what 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 what, what really just irks me is that if you look at the trajectory of crime in the 70s and 80s had reagan not successfully broken that trajectory trajectory by setting in place in motion oh, we'd the be tougher done. sentencing we'd be done yeah i once added it up it was hundreds of thousands of people would have been murdered from 1993 yep. to today that weren't mm. um yeah. as a result of that Crime came down, and now we're seeing that pendulum swing back, back the other way. Yes, because uh, it's time to start letting these poor criminals out and, and letting them out early before they serve their punishment. And, yeah, individually, no, we don't hang, we don't lynch, we don't – those are crimes themselves. But as a governmental entity, yes, we are to punish evil. Um, so – that that's naturally crime rates are going to be going back up as we continue to let people out before they should be let out or not punishing them at all. Well, there you have it, folks. Congressman Gomert completely unplugged. Good luck in your fight. We are behind you and uh, please keep us updated uh, throughout the week. All right. Wonderful talking to you, Daniel. Thank you. There you have it, folks. That was Congressman Gomert from the first district of Texas. Folks, wasn't he terrific? I mean, he has a heart of gold. I mean, most politicians couch their words in some words. He just literally speaks from the heart. I mean, look, sometimes it gets him in trouble, but I mean, everyone's like, I don't want a politician. Well, this is a guy, ironically, who's been there for two decades and he's still not a politician. Um, Every issue. He's good on every single issue, um, bar none. And... uh, it's someone that we really do need to support. Um, you know, luckily he's in a safe district, but still we need to support him. And, and and there you have it, folks. I mean, this was just the surface of a couple of issues we discussed. I know we ventured into jailbreak a little bit there at the end. Um, he he actually did claim time in opposition to the jailbreak bill uh, in 2018 because there was no opposition. And, and therein lies the problem. It's a unibrow. It's a unibrow. It's one party. Ilan Omer and Trump and McCarthy and McConnell sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. When it actually matters. Oh, well, the war of words, socialism, China virus. Yeah, and then go and push more visas to China. Like, I, I can't deal with this anymore. And that's why we're going to start our new movement. I'll announce it when the, when the page is up. Again, it's just a Facebook page, but my goal is to for us to start networking, getting to know each other. Um, we'll try to bring more people into the moderator circle to just, you know, manage this. But I can't bring everyone in at once. It would just be too chaotic. Uh, but that way, I think we could start making these citizen legislators to really start focusing on the issues, putting out information, putting out good, good stories, good links, good uh, data good ideas and really find ways to start driving this 
we are way over time, but like I said, I'm going to work overtime this week to provide you more information. Thank you so much for listening. Send this show to a hundred of your friends, neighbors, and relatives who are all quarantined and are looking for something to do. Till tomorrow, stay safe and may God continue to bless America. <laughs>